Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. It is good to have everyone on today. Uh, today joining us is, as always, Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Jeff? Great. Doing well. Just had some prize. Just had some prize. Yeah, we know. Trust me. Best <laughs> uh, to have ketchup on my mouth. <laughs> no, I think you're good. Uh, we, we also have joining us Joe Works in Elmira, New York. How are you doing today, Joe? I am fryless. Thank you. Very good. Very clever. Well, guys, um, today we are starting our new series on the fruit of the spirit. Um, We're not exactly sure how long it's going to take us to get through this. Um, We've been slowly, we worked our way through some of the final days of Jesus, final week of Jesus's life by looking at the gospel of Matthew. And we kind of like the format of just getting to go through a text and talk about it. And so uh, we're going to do a similar thing with the fruit of the spirit. And that's found in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Um, And Galatians chapter five is often cited for the fruit of the spirit. But guys, I think it's really important before we get into love. That's what we're going to be talking about here in just a little bit. It's important for us to look at the the context of this section. Um, And so for for the purpose of getting all the context in, let's go ahead and read. Would one of you want to read Galatians chapter five and read verses 16 down to verse um, 25? Sure. I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay. Thank you, Joe. So one of the things I want to point out before we get to the fruit of the spirit is it discusses what it looks like to walk by the flesh. Now the desire for a Christian should be to want to walk by the spirit. And we need to look at the things in verses 22 to 23. But we also need to understand the things that we're supposed to put off, what it would look like to walk by the flesh. And, um, and so we also have to understand that the spirit and the flesh have an opposition here. And so, guys, what are some of the characteristics of walking by the flesh in verses um, 17 or sorry, in verses uh, 19, 20 and 21? How would you summarize some of the things in those verses? Well, one of the things that I like to point out is <clears throat> those are the works of the flesh. And, and what that means is they're what the flesh accomplishes. And so you look at a lot of those things, and, and they're not necessarily things that anybody you know says, I want more of that in my life. I mean, how many people go around saying, I want more strife, I want more wrath in my life. Um, but the point is, when I just do what I want to do, uh, that's what I'm going to end up with in my life. So the works of the flesh are the miserable things that you end up with in your life when you just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a just a great picture of what it looks like to be a selfish, sinful person that's not giving any care or regard for what the Lord wants. And, and of and course, the also, idea. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say the idea of the works of the flesh. It's of the flesh because you know over in Romans six, Paul talks about not presenting yourselves as. Um, as slaves of, I can't, right now I can't think of the wording. I'm going to turn over there. It's in Romans, the sixth chapter in verse 12. He's going to say, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, uh, that you should obey the lusts, the desires thereof. So the desires thereof, that's, that's what I want and what my body wants, what my flesh wants. And the works of the flesh are the result of just doing what my flesh wants. Yeah, <clears throat> it really is. When, when your desire is what your flesh wants. And that's what you're giving into. I think when you look at this list of sins in 17 or sorry, in uh, 19 through 21, you kind of see it affects every area of your life. And so you have immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, carousing, idolatry, and sorcery. I would kind of categorize those as individual sins, the things that you personally are involved in that is just some choices you've made to that affects yourself and is an endless cycle you find yourself in. And then it kind of turns a little bit uh, through the midway part of verse 20. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. These seem to be sins that are against or with other people. And so when you walk by the flesh, it affects every aspect of your life, both individually, but also your relationship with other people. It categorizes who you are. And these are all poor choices that we have all made at one point or another. And Paul is pretty straight up about these things at the end of verse 21, that people who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But guys, as we look at this list, I want to ask a question this way, because it'll come up in a little bit. Would you say anybody looks at this list of sins and says, yeah, those are all things that I just, I felt like I felt led to do. Or is it pretty obvious we can look at some of these sins and say, these are choices that people make? Yeah, they're, they're choices. Um you know, some of the things that are in here, um, you, you talk about fornication, um, somebody's going to, somebody's going to say, well, you know, it, it, it just happened. And what they're trying to do is pass off responsibility. They're just, they're going to say, they're basically going to say they, they, they were led into it. Um, but it's a choice. Yeah, and so I guess one of the interesting things we we already read down through, and I know we'll get to it more later. But uh, the the last fruit of the spirit is self control. Yeah, uh, all of these other things seem, and they're the opposite of the other items as a fruit of the spirit as well. But that one really seems to be uh, a key to you know th this is just a lack of self control. Uh, many of these things are acted upon an impulse. I think generally speaking, but that's because people have. Uh, trained their minds to be disagreeable or immoral and uh, go places that they shouldn't and so forth. So uh, whether, you know, it, it, doing it on impulse is certainly no excuse. Um, we, we've put ourselves in the situations to, to do these items. And the reason why I wanted to point that out is because as we get into the fruit of the spirit, as we talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I want us to understand that just like the things we choose to do by walking of the flesh are a choice, I think it's important for us to understand that when we choose to walk by the Spirit, that that's a choice as well. We hear people a lot say, well, I'm feeling led to show love in this way. I'm feeling led to, to do whatever have you. 
And I understand where their terminology comes from with that. But just like we make a choice to walk by the flesh, we have to make choices to put on the fruit of the spirit here. And uh, that's the choice we have to make if we want to follow Jesus. And as you kind of look at verses 24 and 25, I think those are some of the best summary verses in, in a section of scripture. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. This is, this is so critical for this group of Christians that Paul is writing to. He's saying, you all chose to die to these things. That was a choice you made when you put on Christ in baptism. But Paul doesn't stop there. He said, you didn't just die to these things, but you chose to live by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. You don't get to just put off all that old stuff and remain neutral, but there are positive things that you have to put on and that's what the fruit of the spirit is. And so once we crucify the flesh, there are better things for us to put on in Jesus Christ, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And, so you know, I do think that and that's there, what we want to talk about. You know, I do think there are people who kind of they, they have they have this concept of the Holy Spirit that is that the Holy Spirit just does things to them. Um, and, and so I can see people thinking of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Uh, and thinking of it as this feeling of peace just came over me. What this is saying is that peace is a consequence of, as you're saying, choosing to follow the Spirit. I can't go about doing what I want to do and expect the Spirit's just going to overflow me with this sense of peace. Um, I have to make the choice that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And so I want to move into talking about love because I really do think we can spend the rest of the episode just talking about this. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to say introductory wise before we get into these different things? Okay, very good. Well, let's go ahead and talk about love and kind of as a discussion question to kind of get us going here, guys, let's think about how the world defines these things. Christians were at, at odds with the world, with the way that they walk and the way they define things. And the world has a way that they look at love. And so I'm going to ask it this way. When the world says, I love you, what does that mean? Well, in some cases, it means I want you. <clears throat> okay. So um, it's just in terms of what you get out of a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I want, I love you because of what you give me mm-hmm. from this interchange, because of this relationship. Mm-hmm. And it could be something sexual. Um, I, I love you because you're giving me this sexual thing. It mm-hmm. could be financial. Uh, I love you because you're providing me with this. Or in, mm-hmm. in that case, it doesn't just have to be an individual. It can just be anything or just anything to gain in general out of a relationship. And so people dictate how they love someone based off of what they're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the surface, that, that feels right, doesn't it? That, that sounds like the right idea on the surface. But then you think about it. And when it boils down to I want you, I desire you. Uh, it's about what it's about my own desires. It's what I desire. And well, that's back to following the desires of the flesh. That's about being motivated as the people in the first category are talked about those who follow the works of the flesh. Um, so that's probably not the right, right understanding of love here. I'll tell you another way. I think the world would define what it means to love someone. It, it, it's just a feeling that you get. It comes and it goes. There's really no definitive nature of love, but it's the fickle feeling that just kind of comes and it goes. Falling uh, in love, falling out of love. 
Exactly. And we hear that phrase used a lot and you see it in movies and TV and all kinds of places. Uh, I, th I think sometimes when the world says, I love you, it's another way of them saying, well, I tolerate you. If you, if you love me, then you will put up with what I'm going through and you will be okay with what I'm going through. You're going to tolerate what I'm doing. And again, on the surface, you might look at that and say, well, yeah, that, that does sound like love to, to put up with someone, even when you don't like what they're doing, maybe that is exactly what love is. Um, and then for some people, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was going to say that part of the problem with that idea of, of love and, and toleration uh, is that if you don't tolerate something, then by that definition, then you hate. Um, uh, and so you, there's a lot of um, uh, topics that are, that are hot issues right now. And if you don't fall in line with the, with the movement, then you are filled with hate um, uh, just because you're not accepting or tolerating. And so um, there, exactly. there's a dangerous aspect to, to love equaling toler uh, toleration. Yes, exactly. And just the, the idea that carries, if you can't love this, then the, it has to be hate. It's just the complete other extreme. Um, it's so dangerous. And then I'll also say, I think for some people, when they say, I love you, it means, well, I like you that I like that you are exactly like me and that you think like me and that you are like me. Hmm. And I, I can get on board with loving anybody who who's just like me. And we know Jesus had something to say about that. If you only do good to those who do good to you, or you're only nice to those who are nice to you or who look like you and act like you, that's the wrong picture of what loving your neighbor looks like. Um, and so the world has a very twisted and contorted view of what love is. So what we want to do on Bible Quest is biblically define what love is. I'm going to ask a second question here, guys, that I think is going to help us to be able to define uh, what biblical love looks like. And I want you guys to jump in and go, as you answer it, have a Bible passage ready if you do to, to kind of go and talk about these things. I've, I've got my own answers for this question. When God says, I love you, what does that mean? So we talked about what it means when the world says, I love you. What does it mean when God says that he loves us? There's a, there's a story. It's a very familiar story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And I want to I wanna put two uh, accounts together here. Okay. And uh, let's see, it's going to be Mark chapter 10 and verse uh, 17 and following. And this is a, a passage where uh, a man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and then in verse 19, Jesus says, you know, the commandments do not kill, do not commit adultery, so on. And in, in verse 20, the man replies, teacher, all these things have I observed from my youth. And so he's a good good man, or at least somebody that people would generally think of as a good man. And, and I want to notice Mark's account because Mark says in verse 21, Jesus looking upon him, loved him. Mm -hmm. Now what's going to happen, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all tell this story. Jesus is going to tell this man, uh, go sell everything that you have. Um, and, and that's quite a demand. Go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. But Mark prefaces that with the observation, Jesus looking upon him, loved him and said, sell everything that you have. And of course, the man wasn't able to do it. And so he went away sorrowful. Luke adds a detail in Luke's account, which is in Luke, the 18th chapter. Um, the man says in verse 21, all these things have I observed from my youth up. I've kept the commandments. Verse 22, Jesus heard it. He said unto him, 
one thing you lack yet. And then he tells them, sell everything that you have. So Jesus looks at this man. He, he sees there's something deficient in this man. And he challenges the man, sell everything that you have, because what you lack is putting me first. And you've got to do that. You talked earlier, Chase, about people whose idea of love is, I think you use the word tolerate everything. Maybe a better way to say it is love is non-judgmental. Um, you, you, if you love somebody, you don't point out their flaws. You don't say they're doing anything wrong. Well, I think that people can become hypercritical and sometimes that hypercritical character can be a manifestation of self-righteousness, but true love, uh, for my fellow human being is love for a fellow creature of God who is going to stand before God in the day of judgment. And if I truly love him, I care about his, his eternal fate. And Jesus looked at this man and loved him and challenged him, sell everything that you have. In a sense, there was a judgment made. You're lacking something, and you need this thing that you're lacking. Uh, that's a little different than what people think about love today. Yes, uh, Jesus was certainly able to, to show love to this young man without tolerating the sin that he was living in. And that's an important thing for us Christians to realize is that we can continue to love people and love even those who are the enemies of the Lord while still showing them the kindness that we need to um, w- without fully subscribing to their lifestyle or their sin or, or their agenda or whatever. It now, now you and I aren't Jesus and we don't go around supposing that we can look into everybody's heart and know, know their fault or their shortcoming, nor do we have the right to demand of them as Jesus would. But just getting to the point, the simple point, what does the, is love consistent with telling somebody you, you need to do better. What you're doing here is wrong. And it is. Jesus loved him and yet told him, you lack something. Uh, you, need, you need to sell everything you have and come follow me. So the short, short end of your answer is um, God shows his love in trying to correct us and help us. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a great way to put that. Parents and children. We, you know, so many parents in the world we live in uh, think they love their children. And by that, they mean, I would never tell my child, no, I would never discourage my child from doing something. I want my child to grow up free. Well, that's not love. We're God's children and God corrects us. Uh, some children, you know, don't love their, some parents don't love their children as much as they love their plants. They train their plants, but they don't train their children. Yep. Go. So I think, uh, well, give me your question again. I want to make sure I don't answer the wrong question. When God says, I love you, what does that mean? Um, so I think one, one aspect of it would be God showing mercy. Um, yes. uh, I'm thinking about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the, the point there is that we need to love one another as the second greatest commandment. You know, and the question, who is my neighbor? Um, and at the end of it, Jesus asked him, which one was the neighbor? He said, he who showed mercy. Um, uh, and so yes. when I think about what God has done for, for me and his manifestation of love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, uh, that, that was an act of mercy. I, I'm, yes. I was in no way deserving of, of what God has, has extended to me. Uh, well, and, and that's not at all a contradiction to what Jeff is saying. Uh, it, it's a compliment to, to that. Those things yes. go together. 
Well, let, let's talk about that passage that you just quoted, um, John three sixteen. It's well known, and I think it, it for as many people in this world that know what this verse says. So many of them lack the understanding of what biblical love is, even though they can quote this verse. So let's read this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave something up for us. God showed his love to us by being willing to sacrifice something he had. And if I can say it another way, God made a choice mm-hmm. to give his only begotten son. So a sacrificial choice. Exactly. And you see, that, that's the key right there. As we looked at all of these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of these components, they start with the choice. And we see it with God. He made the deliberate choice to send his son to the cross for us. He did not have to do that. But in order to demonstrate his love for the world, he made that choice. Self-sacrifice to give his only son. And you see, that's the component of love that I believe that the world is missing out on. Is being willing to sacrifice our own desires, our own wants, for the sake of someone else. That's what biblical love looks like. And we see it in our father. Um, Does that make sense guys? Yeah. And so in the context of Galatians, I think, especially, you know, right before the text, right before where we started reading in uh, Galatians 5, 16, the verses right before that, for all the love is fulfilled, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Um, you know, those, uh, that, that question of them needing to love one another, we, we can understand what that is by seeing what God has done for us. Yes. And uh, if I can, guys, just use an analogy here. Jeff, is there something you and Libby both really enjoy, like a food that you both really enjoy eating? I think I believe you guys both love Italian food, if I'm not mistaken. We do. We like, you know, we both like a variety of foods. We, we both really enjoy Chinese, um, Chinese food. We, yeah, let's go with that one. Yeah, Chinese so takeout. Yeah, <laughs> let's say, uh, let's say I, was, I was on my way through Exton and um, I'd, found this crazy good Chinese place and um, I grab a thing of it, have an extra and I bring it by your house. Hey, I had an extra one. Here here you go, Jeff, this is for you. If you love that Chinese food a lot, Mm -hmm. what does the world naturally expect you to do with that? Devour it. Yeah. You you keep it for yourself. This is for you. I love this thing so much. I'm going to keep it for me. That that's the idea of what love to the world looks like. If I love something a lot, I keep it. That's what we all, we, I, you know, I think most of us, and I'm not not just talking Christians here. I think most of us human beings understand the joy that we can experience. You know, my wife will love this. And, and if I can give this to her, uh, share this with her and, and she can say, Oh, this is so good. That brings me great pleasure. Yes. And that's what you would choose to do as a good husband. You would choose because you love Libby so much to to give, not to keep. 
And I think this concept is not one that the world has, that when we love something, we give, not take and keep. And it started with our Lord. Uh, he loved us so much that he gave and didn't keep. Um, how badly do you think God wanted to keep his son in heaven with him? And yet he still gave. And so that, that is just a very critical component of love. I think we have to understand um, that we're going to be at odds with the world with about. Thoughts? Yeah. Verse 14, uh, uh, 13 again, but through love serve one another. Um, uh, you know, we, we now know that, that Jeff loves living more than he loves Chinese food. That's, that's great. Um, uh, uh, but you know, what about the times where we just don't feel like, and again, think about that idea of feelings when we just don't feel like doing something or giving, um, uh, that's when we really need to, uh, put this into practice when it's, when it's somebody that we, we get a lot of joy out of seeing them smile or knowing that it makes them happy. Um, you know, it, it can also, it can almost become a selfish act if we're doing that simply for people that, that we already love, that we already care about. That's one of the reasons why I like that story of the good Samaritan complete stranger has nothing to offer in return, but the Samaritan goes through and you can just see, and there's about, I, I haven't stopped to count them, about eight or 10 things that he does for him. Um, you know, it, it's, it, and, and each thing you think, okay, well, that's enough. But then he goes even further. And it, it's a great example of, of what our Lord has done for us, um, going to the extreme. And so we need to be willing to, to give, not just for people that we like or that we uh, want to see, you know, that, that, that it just immediately gives us pleasure because we have a connection with them, even the stranger, the unfortunate, the people that can't help us back, and, and the enemies, uh, the people that might be biting and devouring us or wanting to. Yes, excellent point. First uh, John 4 and verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, you guys have anything else on that note? I got one other thing I'll, I'll talk about with this. Okay, so um, I, I believe the other way that we see God's love for us is in the fact that he has promised to be our father and that he is our father and that he is our provider. Uh, look over at Matthew chapter 6. It's so critical to see what Jesus says about his father on the Sermon on the Mount as he is trying to, to line up these disciples. Matthew 6 in verse 8. Um, so do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but to deliver, uh, deliver us from the evil one. Uh, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. You guys see how many times it uses the word father in the Lord's prayer? Um, I don't think I always truly slow down to appreciate the idea of God being my father, being the one that, that created me, being the one that I look to for everything, 
the one that provides for me. And uh, same thing in verses 25 through 34 of this chapter that uh, in verse 32 of chapter six, for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, meaning clothing and food and drink for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. God is a good father. He will provide for us. He, he loves to do that. That's how he demonstrates his love for us. And he does that for both those who are good to him. And he also does those who are not good to him. That is how good of a father that God is. And so um, we can also show our love for other people in the way that we give and provide for our families and for other people. So uh, again, you see the self-sacrificing nature of God as, as he demonstrates his love for us. Thoughts on that? First John 3, 1, somebody pointed out just the fact that he calls us his children, uh, the flip side of that. Yep. Yep. Excellent point. All right. So let's ask another question then. We've already been talking some about application, but uh, we'll get more specific. So when I say to you, Joe, I love you, how can I show that? Um, uh, climbing a ladder and uh, doing some <laughs> dangerous things. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, any, By the way, bacon, if bacon's involved in the answer, Joe, that's you're a long way uh, toward accomplishing the goal. There so you go. Yes. On my food analogy earlier, Jeff, I almost went to Joe to say, now, Joe, if you had some bacon that you really love, <laughs> that's too I challenging. Afraid, I was afraid it would backfire on me. So I decided to go with you. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny, though, Joe, Joe, you, you joke about, you know, before uh, we went on air, Joe asked if I'd be willing next time I come to, to help him get on this 28 foot ladder, basically vertical and pull these wires out. It's a dangerous and it's a service. But the very first point in my notes on this, when, when I say I love you, how can I show that? You want to know what my answer was? Service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. That, that, that is how we demonstrate love to people. And we not only saw that with God, but we see that with Jesus and his disciples in John the 13th chapter. Um, as he stoops down, the Lord stoops down to do what, guys? To wash the feet of the disciples. To serve them. Mm -hmm. the, the master serves the servants. Mm -hmm. And it's symbolic as he humbles himself of an even greater scale that he is going to stoop yep. in his self-sacrifice. Um, but do you guys remember Jesus' whole plea for these disciples as he's washing their feet? is for them to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted for them, to learn from his example so that they could serve one another and sacrifice for one another to demonstrate their love for one another. Um, specifically, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you will also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I hope that in the way we serve each other, guys, people are able to look at us and figure out something about our Lord, uh, about our God. Because in the way we act, it will reflect back on the God that we serve. And that's Jesus' point here. He has loved them to the very end, to the point of death. And if they're willing to do that for their, for their own brethren, it points only back uh, in good glory to, the, to God, to Jesus. Um. 
thoughts or comments there on, on the John 13 point? Again, service, uh, serving one another. That's the, the, the text that we're looking at in Galatians is particularly uh, applicable there. Even, and, and I know we're not there yet, but going on into Galatians, the sixth chapter, you see just some very practical ways uh, that Paul expected them to, to change and to, to start looking out for others' needs. And it, it's not, it's not, it's service, but it's also uh, service that does not consider rank. Um, the, the, a lot of times, you know, we, we get it in our head that because of my position or because of what I've done or because of uh, what somebody owes me, you know, th- there's a certain relationship and I shouldn't have to do such and such for this person. This person should owe, this person owes me, you know, that kind of thing. And, and the point that Jesus is making in John 13, I, I think is captured in, in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It would often be the servant of, of, a, of a householder who would wash the guest's feet. Um, but here, Jesus is Lord and master, and yet he's the one who humbles himself to do this. So it is service without regard to, well, my station, my rank, what you owe me. It's just service. Mm-hmm. Service, a servant mindset, it can be really hard to get into, um, especially if you've been consistently serving yourself and just thinking about how you can get more and you can do more uh, for yourself. Uh, guys, would you all have any tips or, or tricks, or tricks might not be the right word, for trying to get better into a servant mindset? Because I think about some of the people I look up to most in, in, as a Christian, and it seems like they only think on terms of how to give to other people. What might be some advice on how to get to that? I, 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 I say this in all honesty, hanging around you two guys. I say people hang around you two guys and they see examples of service. You guys, you guys inspire me. And I think, I think that is the idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. What, what I'm trying to say. I, I can't wait till we study humility. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you noticed. But, I think uh, I threw him there. I think I think I caught him off guard, and he did. Say... Humility's not in this this list specifically. <laughs> okay, okay. The idea of surrounding yourself with people who are servants is the idea that I was saying is the right idea. Um, yeah. If you're constantly around people who are self-serving and don't really think about anyone else, then naturally you're going to be the same. But if you're surrounding yourself with good people who are serving other people, it, it makes you more keen to those opportunities as well. I mean, have you guys ever seen, though, brethren, where they jump in and do something and you're like, I never even thought oh, yeah. of oh, yeah. jumping in in that way and yep. wanting to serve that way, but they I- think of so look, let me just mention, uh, and, and you two were, were present for this, but during uh, the Sons of Light Bible Camp back in August, we uh, started a, a new uh, class. Uh, we, we called it a work ethics class. And uh, we had, there were several projects around the property that needed to be taken care of. And so we uh, just assigned different groups to that. And it was absolutely incredible 
how quickly those jobs got done. And they were dirty jobs, picking up rocks and pulling out shrubs that had thorns in them and, uh, you know, dealing with uh, uh, wasp in the ground and, and all kinds of, you know, not so fun things. But it, it was just amazing to watch those men. And, and it was, you could tell, and they talked about the fact that it was just kind of contagious. Everybody working spurred everybody else to want to do more. And it, it, was, it was just tremendous. Yes. And I'll say this too, because there were so many campers, we wouldn't be able to narrow anyone down. There were campers who I think would have been more prone to hanging loose, you know, you know, not doing the work. But when they were surrounded by a majority of men who were wanting to do the work and do the service, even some of those stragglers, I noticed they were right in there with everybody else. It becomes contagious even for probably the, the weakest person there. Sure. And that's what we want to do. We want to surround ourselves with people like that uh, so that we're motivated to also show our love by our service for other people. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. And, you know, I think that's, that's, that's going to, to certainly find its fulfillment in this uh, serving and sacrificial love that you were describing. Yes, exactly. So, Okay. If I, if we can go to one other passage here, guys, um, we should have time for it as we talk about, love and how we're practically going to do this. It's going to be first Corinthians 13. There's, there's, I think no better place I can think of going other than that right now. Um, first Corinthians 13 and Jeff, do you mind to read verses one through seven for us? Your sound's not working. Yeah. First Corinthians 13, beginning in verse one, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunts not itself is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not its own, is not provoked, takes not account of evil, rejoices not in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All right, Jeff, could you mind to bring us up to speed on what the context of this passage is? The context is spiritual gifts. Paul is talking about the uh, gifts that the Lord has given people in the first century church, and the Corinthians were clamoring for certain of those gifts, most especially apparently speaking in tongues, and for all the wrong reasons. They were um, wanting to exalt themselves, and Paul in chapter 12 says, look, the whole body of, of the human body, the whole body is important, but the different parts have different functions, but they all work together, and so is the body of Christ, but then he says there's something more important uh, and, and so in the body of Christ, you're going to have different talents, different gifts, different spiritual gifts, different functions, different roles. And then he says, but, and there's something more important than any of those spiritual gifts. And, and that is love. And so here you've got the Corinthians um, clamoring, competing, who's got the best gift. 
And in that very clamoring and competing, they are not showing love for one another. In fact, love has been a consistent deficiency in everything Paul has said about the Corinthians. Uh, he's shown the deficiency of love all up to this point in First Corinthians. Yes. Okay, thank you. That, that's the mouth. That was a really good uh, on-the-spot um, summary. This is the greatest spiritual gift that these folks could choose. And here's the thing. It was right there for their taking. Uh, and I think that's Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 13. Some of the other gifts, they did require the apostles laying on of hands. But here's a gift that they could take if, right there if they wanted to, if they would make the choice to do so. Um, and really, all of the problems that Corinth is having, that Paul has discussed up until this point, would be corrected if they would simply put on love for one another. Uh, and so in verse uh, 4, to kind of drive home our point, love is patient. And we're going to be making the emphasis that all of these are choices uh, right now. When my daughter wakes up in the morning, we've, we've been having a hard time lately uh, with her eating. She's been a picky eater. Um, and uh, I, I, we were always that parents that were like, you know, our kid's going to eat what they want. Or uh, excuse me, our kids are going to eat what we tell them to, you know, and kind of that mentality. And man, I'll tell you, it's really tricky at times with Sally with just how picky she has been and, and trying to be consistent. And as we're offering her the different types of breakfast items that we have, and she's throwing a fit and, and, you know, not having it in those moments, I have a choice to make. I can be patient or I can be extremely unreasonable and mean and rude, not nice. I have a choice to make in those moments. Um, when it says that love is kind, I think back to when Sally was not sleeping through the night woke up in the middle of the night, maybe when she was a newborn screaming, uh, I'm trying to get some sleep because I have work to do the next day and I'm woken up and I got to talk to Rebecca or she asked me to go do something in the middle of the night. I have a choice to make. I can choose to be kind or I can choose not to be. And depending on the choice that I make, it will demonstrate to my wife whether or not I actually love her. And if I'm willing to love her in the way that God loves us. And the same thing with jealousy, arrogance, being rude, insisting on your own way. All of these things that Paul gives for us are choices that we have to make for our brethren that show our love for one another. And so it's so important. Uh, that, that, and it makes sense that the first one we have to talk about is love because um, it comes back to everything. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, guys? Did, did, have we already mentioned that Jesus makes the point, Paul makes the point that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love, Jesus says love, uh, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets are summed up in these two commandments. Have we already made that point? No, not, not in, we haven't fleshed it out. So I, I'd love for you to. So uh, we think about all of the different rules and instructions in the Bible. Maybe we even go to the extreme and we think about in the Old Testament things that if you're not really familiar with the Old Testament, you may think of as arbitrary laws, laws about what you can eat and what you can't eat. But what, what Jesus is telling us and Paul is telling us, everything God gives us is really an instruction teaching us how to love God and how to love our neighbor. And uh, so if we, if we want to, if we want to love, we're going to have to follow God's word. We're going to have to um, choose to do what he says, and that's the way to love. And, and somehow that was connected with what you were just saying, and I lost the connection in my mind. I don't remember why I thought that was relevant right there. But 
Well, it, it comes back to choices, right? If we love God, if we love him, we will keep his commandments, as you were pointing out, then we each day are given a choice to read his commandments or not. If we mm-hmm. love God, we make the choice. I'm going to wake up 10 minutes early today to get in the reading that I need to do. And uh, in that you're sacrificing some extra sleep time or whatever have you for the sake of your relationship with the father. I don't know if that ties it in, but. So uh, earlier we talked about John three sixteen, 16, um, uh, the companion passage that pretty easy to remember. First John three sixteen. by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the love of the father you have the love of Jesus. And then he says, we need to imitate that. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to think about the, the love passages in first John, first John four, eight, first John four, 16, God is love. It, it's not just about God being love. Each time that he makes that statement, it is a direct challenge and command for us to act in the same fashion. Uh, we need to have the love of God manifested in us, 1 John 4 and in verse 9. Uh, 1 John 4, verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Uh, so it's, it's great to appreciate God's love, but if we're not imitating it, then we're falling fall short. Yes. Amen. Well said. Well, uh, that's our time for today. Uh, thank you all for your kind attention and your comments. Lord willing, we're going to pick up with joy next week. Thank you all for listening today.